0: Thanks for tuning in to the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast this past year for Season 2. I sincerely appreciate you sharing this content across the globe. For the next four weeks, I'm taking a much-needed break from launching new episodes between Seasons 2 and 3, so over the next month, we'll be replaying our top episodes from Season 2. Listen in, or please take this time to go back and listen to episodes you missed or re-listen to your favorites. And if you have loved the show, please take this time to write me a quick review on Apple Podcasts. That is the biggest thank you I could receive. Season three will be launching July 13th. I have again an amazing lineup of guests coming on the show. More big names, great stories, and life-changing information. Stay tuned.
1: Heart disease has remained the number one cause of death in America of men and women since 1918.
0: Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Joel Kahn, America's Healthy Heart Doc. Today, we're going to discuss how to detect heart disease and prevent it. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Joel Kahn. He's a practicing cardiologist in Detroit, Michigan, and a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan Medical School. Known as American's Healthy Heart Doctor, Dr. Kahn has triple board certifications in internal medicine, cardiovascular medicine, and interventional cardiology. He was the first physician in the world to certify in metabolic cardiology with A4M and the University of South Florida. And he funded the Kahn Center for Cardiac Longevity in Bingham Farms, uh, Michigan. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kahn.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to talk about good stuff.
0: Well, you're the expert, and we're going to dive into heart disease. So in Chapter 7 of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, I'm comparing the plumbing of the home to the cardiovascular system in the body. In this chapter, I talk about how important water pressure in the home is. Uh, multiple factors affect the water pressure in the home, including the size and the length of the pipe work, along with factors like calcium buildup inside of those pipes. And the same is true with your arteries. You want your arteries clear, and you want your heart to keep things running smoothly. We depend on water in our house for everyday activities like bathing, brushing our teeth, washing our hands, cleaning the dishes, doing laundry. So you need your plumbing to get you through the day clog free. And most individuals understand that grease poured down our drain will eventually harden, right, leading to a clog. Similarly, our bodies depend on blood, which carries oxygen and vital nutrients to all of our organs. And just like clogged pipes in a house can lead to problems, clogged arteries can lead to serious health consequences, which you're going to share with us. (laughs) So today we're going to dive deep into how we can prevent those serious cardiovascular consequences. So Dr. Khan, as the expert in heart health, tell us how you became America's healthy heart doctor.
1: Well, I trained as a plumber for all those years, and then <laughs> I decided to become a heart doctor. Now there's a joke. There's a joke to that in nature, but since you uh, made a very appropriate analogy to pipe plumbing, which is the language I use all the time in the office. Yeah. That specific title, which is kind of fun. When I did go back after years and years of being a standard cardiologist, hospitals, cath labs, emergency rooms, and pursued integrative training, uh, functional medicine training, the different words you can describe it, I quickly, very nicely picked up a book deal with Reader's Digest. There is still a Reader's Digest magazine, although this was a decade ago, and I wrote for the magazine, which is still widely read, and I published a book with them as the publisher. And- That was the title of the column in Reader's Digest, you know, and it's their editorial team. And I said, after writing for them for a number of years, hey, I already got this on my website. Can I keep it? And they said, sure, keep using it. Why not? Yeah.
0: (laughs) We don't have a lot of integrative cardiologists here in Iowa. So I have patients who come to me all the time wanting... Various strategies other than you know the medications they've been prescribed to help reduce their risk, and so I hope the listeners today uh, learn a lot from what you have to share. So let's start with how big of a deal heart disease is. Can you give us some statistics? uh, How serious is heart disease?
1: Big deal. Do you want more than that? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Super big deal. They are super big deal, as probably most people know, but you have to be reminded regularly. Even last year with the horrible, horrible pandemic. Twice as many people in America died of heart disease and died of COVID-19. Almost twice as many died of cancer as COVID-19. Heart disease, despite some reports that not as many people were showing up for heart attacks, heart disease has remained the number one cause of death in America of men and women since 1918. So 103 years in a row, we have that champion's belt to show for heart disease. It's time to stop that. Yeah. I don't want to really hand it off to another disease. I just want to see overall people live longer and healthier. But uh, it is a really big deal. When it's grandma or grandpa at age ninety-six, you know they die in their sleep in bed. It's very sad, but it's gentle. Problem is, there's thirty-eight-year-olds that either are dropping dead or they're resuscitated and there's brain damage and they're not working and you know, challenges in supporting the family and just, you know, tragedy. I literally just the last patient walked out of my office, her mother died of a heart attack at age 38. I mean, she was mm. 11 years old. That's the kind of tragedy that just drives me to say, you know, I love what I do, but it's also a passion in terms of get the message out, get the message out, get the test done, make sure this never happens to you.
0: I want to talk about tests, but let's come back to, okay, we know heart disease is tragic, so how do we prevent it?
1: Yeah, so there's a mouthful there. Number one, go to old things we know. We know there's lifestyle choices that increase the risk. There are people that smoke that live to 100 and never have a heart attack, but there's lifestyle choices that increase the risk, lifestyle choices that decrease the risk. Don't smoke, get a blood pressure cuff and use it, because if you have high blood pressure, it damages your arteries. And if you do have high blood pressure, exercise, diet, good sleep, good nutrition, and if you got to take medicine, take it, take it regularly and get a home blood pressure cuff, high cholesterol. You won't know if you have a high cholesterol unless you have some weird little fatty deposits under your eyes. It's really quite unusual. Get blood work. You know, don't wait till you're 60 to get your first cholesterol checked. Get your numbers checked. And anybody wants to dive deeper, there are some additional tests you can do blood sugar again you can walk around for a decade with elevated blood sugar maybe pre-diabetes maybe actually mild diabetes very bad for your arteries get your blood work done you know do go see a doctor or some kind of wellness check and finally be aware of your family history these are the classic traditional factors do you have as this young woman that was in my office a mother a grandparent a uh, brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle with a heart attack, a stroke, a bypass, drop dead suddenly at age 42, 44, something like really shocking. You need to wrap around a lot of knowledge into your your head by reading and listening to things like we're doing right now. Then you can go beyond that because now we include sleep, poor sleep, interrupted sleep is a risk factor. Air pollution, it's actually a very strong risk factor of heart disease. Genetics, it's not all Do you eat salads or donuts? That's a very important factor, but it's not the only factor. There's a kind of cholesterol I might mention that 25% of people inherit and 1% of doctors actually check for it. It's kind of a disparity right now, so we need to work a little better on more advanced testing and never ignore, I'll give you a couple last statements, a tightness, a pressure, a squeezing, a shortness of breath when you're out in the cold, when you're exerting yourself, walking fast, climbing a hill, Don't ignore that. Mention to your doctor, or if it's really bad, go to an emergency room. Guys with erectile dysfunction, you're 44 years old, guys, and it ain't happening like it happened when you were 35. That can be a clue to clogged heart arteries, let alone blood circulation below the waist. You know, erectile dysfunction, get a blue pill. That kind of stuff works great. But ask the question why? Why? Why is this happening? What's with my diet, my blood pressure, my cholesterol? Get your heart checked erectile dysfunction can be a very valuable and accurate clue to a bad heart disease before it's really an issue.
0: Good. Great tips. Love those. I want to go back to, well, we haven't talked about lifestyle changes here, but I want to specifically focus on diet for a little bit. So I know who you are. I know you eat plant-based. The listeners may not know your story. So tell us in your professional opinion, I want to know how you eat, but I want to know in your opinion, how we should be eating for heart disease prevention
1: eating heart disease prevention is a largely whole food plant-based diet. And why do I say that? Why don't I say vegan? Cuz there's so many processed fake meat, fake cheese, mm-hmm. delicious options out there, and they're fun once in a while. That's not the basis of good weight, good blood pressure, good cholesterol, and good heart arteries, good sexual function. You know, the basis is four things that even our government agrees about. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, beans, peas, and lentils, any combination you want, but eat a largely whole food plant-based diet. There's no reason not to do meatless Monday. There's no reason you can't do breakfast and lunch completely animal-free every day. That's a program made popular by New York Times author called Vegan Before Six. And if the family gathering is a little more challenging, maybe you have a big salad and broccoli with dinner and it's a small piece of fish or chicken. I don't do that, but if you wanna do that, the Mediterranean diet, which says reduce red meat, reduce dairy, increase fruits, vegetables, whole grains, use olive oil, not butter or lard, and uh, drink red wine, not Mountain Dew. That's not a bad model either. That's worked very well for a lot of people. So literally five or more servings of fruit and vegetables a day. That's not a hard goal, but that's gotta be berries in your oatmeal and an apple or an orange at lunch. And a gigantic salad with peas and beans and lentils for dinner with whatever else you want.
0: Is that basically how you eat?
1: That is how I eat every darn day. (laughs) There's never animal products. Never, 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 never. I mean, do I ever break down once in a while, have something sloppy? It happens. It's not very often.
0: Let's go to animal products. So when you're saying for heart health, we essentially should not eat these animal products. Can you explain to the listeners why? Is it because of the saturated fat or what's the driving, what are the top driving factors with these animal products, like specifically meat too?
1: There's a scientist in LA, a researcher of world renown named Dr. Walter Longo, uh, L-O-N-G-O, and he's got a great book called The Longevity Diet, that would be a good basis for almost anybody to read. And he breaks it down real quickly, he calls them the uh, pillars of longevity, the pillars of longevity diet, eating for good health long-term. You know, what's the data of the biochemistry? If you take meats, we can talk, and what, let's not do it, but for half an hour. This in meat causes a rise in a chemical in the blood called TMAO, and TMAO might damage your arteries. This chemical in the meat called Nu5GC might cause your blood vessels to get inflamed that saturated fat in the fish and the chicken and the turkey and the pork and the red meat may raise your cholesterol. It's not going to give you a heart attack today, but if you do that every day for the next 25 years, it may give you erectile dysfunction, strokes, and heart attacks. The way animal foods are raised, and it's also a concern for plant-based foods in terms of pesticides or besides glyphosates like Roundup, but the way animals are generally raised, 98% of the meat in the United States is made under circumstances, antibiotics, hormones, Infections, bacteria, stress—I mean, just horrible foods for the human nature. Now, if you find a nice ethical uh, farmer out there, or you own your own property, or I don't want to—I'm going to disappoint every vegan in the world—but you're a hunter and you're eating, you know, wild game. There's data that's healthier. It's not nice to the animal, or maybe not nice to the environment. It's healthier than store-bought hamburger for sure. So, you know, we actually—that's about chemistry. Then we look at old people, do old people eat meat heavy diets? Not generally, if you go to Okinawa or Loma Linda, California or Sardinia, Italy, where they have these exceptional longevities, And then we look at the randomized studies and there are studies of uh, meat heavy versus meat light diets. And generally the meat light diets or the no meat diets, better blood sugar, better cholesterol, better body weight, better inflammation profile. And then you actually look at, you know, what reverses heart disease. And it's always plant-based diets. And you just stack seventy years of data at least, one on top of another, top, another, top, another, top, another. You have to look at the whole picture to really get the full, fair understanding.
0: Sure. I think I want to go here for a moment. You've kind of already alluded to some of this, but being on a plant-based diet, I have a question as far as, is there a way to do that wrong? And you've kind of already mentioned a little bit of that. Like for instance, there's a ketogenic diet, right? For some people, they do more of a dirty keto and they're really not doing keto the way that a lot of individuals who just preach about ketogenic diet um, believe they should be doing it. With plant-based, are there limitations? Like are the vegan cheeses and the impossible burgers and you know these sort of new food concoctions... I, I do not eat dairy from a hormone standpoint. I have a hormone clinic and I believe dairy can really, it has negatively impacted my hormones. So I have another reason other than heart disease <laughs> uh, prevention for not eating dairy. But I do wonder, I, I was just this weekend talking to some friends at the pool about this. Like when I look at, you know, an organic cheese that may have, may have three ingredients in it. And then I look at a vegan cheese that has 20 ingredients with guar gum and fillers and, Is that really better? Not that I have those every day, but...
1: You're always in a stronger position when you have data. So it isn't a perfect study, but the Harvard School for Public Health about three years ago, they have a database of nurses and doctors, over 100,000. They've been studying them and reporting on them for 35 years now. And they classified them. And again, they weren't really vegan, non-vegan, but they called it healthy plant-based diet patterns, unhealthy plant-based diet patterns. Are you eating potato chips? No, it's vegan. Right, that wouldn't right. fall into the healthy plant. And they actually showed the unhealthy plant-forward diet had actually more risk for heart disease than those that were not eating vegan. Now, the message that really needs to be said, those that were were eating healthy plant-based diets, the beans, the peas, the lentils, and the rest, they had a lower risk of heart disease, strokes, and heart attacks, erectile dysfunction, early death. So that wins if you can eat salads and beans and peas and sweet potatoes and tofu and tempeh and olives and walnuts and brown rice and white rice and you know make ethnic foods of stir-fries and all you know you're ahead of the game but if you know that's so that's one pitfall is junk vegan food uh, on a regular basis another pitfall is not supplementing if you're 100% vegan for a long time I'm 44 years vegan You know, you better think about some B12 in your program. Big deal. Take a pill a day. Stop whining about it. The general public is deficient in many important vitamins and nutrients. They just don't test it. We're a bunch of whiny vegans. We go get blood work and we find out we got nutrient deficiencies and we fix them and then we do fine. But that's what the whole public should do anyways. The whole public should ensure that their diet is working for them in terms of vitamin levels, in terms of cholesterol levels. I mean, again, another patient today, literally, found out she had some heart disease by a CT scan we might want to talk about, and she started surfing the web before she found me, and she found all the keto docs, and her cholesterol went from 220 to 360 in the last three months. That's what happens, and she has heart disease. That was not a good decision. It didn't kill her. If she kept going on that for 10 years, it might kill her. So we're going to get her back to a diet that lowers her cholesterol, not nearly doubles her cholesterol. So there are problems. She lost six pounds, but you can lose six pounds throwing up. You don't need to double your cholesterol to lose six pounds.
0: You might already know that insulin resistance can lead to weight gain. But did you know that it also is one of the leading causes of death for its role in diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's? Diet changes are essential when it comes to combating insulin resistance, but additional nutrients can also help. The one I recommend the most, berberine. Berberine is a plant extract that has been used in Chinese and Ayurvedic medicine for over 2,500 years. In addition to its long history, modern clinical trials have demonstrated that berberine supports cardiovascular health in a number of important synergistic ways. These include helping you maintain blood pressure, support healthy heart contraction and rhythm, and support healthy cholesterol and glucose levels. Our berberine support product also contains alpha-lipoic acid, or ALA, which has been shown to support blood sugar balance and is also a powerful antioxidant that scavenges free radicals. It's wonderful for maintaining healthy blood vessel and circulatory health. Consider taking the Synergistic Blend daily, or especially if you eat more than normal or indulge over the holidays or a birthday, where it should help reduce blood sugar spikes. Check out our product info sheet at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash product forward slash berberine hyphen support. To get 10% off Berberine support, use code Berberine at your longevity Now, let's get back to the show. You just hit on about six points I wanted to ask you about. So I want to go back, though, for a moment to tofu and tempeh. So you're referencing soy, and I'm from Iowa. We have a heavy soybean crop here, but a lot of soy is GMO. So are you pro-soy? Are you against? Tell me. Let's talk more about soy. In
1: Iowa, the soybeans, they're in the soy meal, they're feeding to the cows and the chickens and the pork that people are eating is GMO. The soy products you're buying in the grocery store all have the green USDA label on them, or at least the non-GMO label. I'd prefer it has the green organic label on it. So you know that, you know, you trust that they were raised without being sprayed with a Roundup and other, sure. I think, toxic substances. Bill Gates doesn't agree, but Bill Gates doesn't do it all right, we've learned. I'd be more concerned about the content of glyphosate in grocery store foods, chicken, other poultries, pork, ham. And uh, yeah, beef products. It's not then just about soy. Yeah. edamame and tofu and tempeh. Because I tell you, maybe I'm not in Whole Foods much. I'm just at the corner grocery store. But my soy milk always has had a green organic label on it, meaning those plants weren't sprayed with Roundup. They were used maybe as some kind of natural herbicides and pesticides.
0: Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. My next question was going to be regarding limitations of a plant-based diet. And you already alluded to potential nutritional deficiencies. I'm sure we both are running nutritional evaluations, which is the entire topic of chapter four in my book, fixing those deficiencies that are found. So in those who are on more of a vegetarian or vegan diet, we know B12 can be low. Um, And so these patients many times need to supplement. But before we go into other supplements for heart health, specifically for those on a plant-based diet, I want to talk about amino acid profiles. So are those on plant-based diets deficient in some amino acids that are more found in meat?
1: The data suggests that that is not a concern or the case. You could create a diet, you know, if you ate some strange diet of just mandarin oranges for a year. I mean, there may not be all 21 amino acids. Some people say 20, I count them as 21, you know, in a mandarin orange, but if you eat Again, the rainbow we talk about, you know, you eat some fruits, some vegetables, some whole grains, some legumes, maybe one of those groups doesn't agree with you. And if you've got celiac disease, you're obviously going to do a gluten-free variation. There are no substantiated or known protein deficiencies, single amino acid deficiencies. Again, flip the story. What's in animal meat foods is a high content of uh, amino acid called methionine. And there's clear data: Xs methionine, and a plant-based diet is low in methionine. A meat-based diet is high. Is a very potent aging diet that probably promotes cancer and early uh, demise. So that you know, you flip it around, and you should ask the same question of the meat eaters: Are you getting too much of some of the amino acids that are the building blocks of protein? And you might. We all need some methionine. We just don't need an excess. So, no, it's not a concern. If you're training for a triathlon or an ultra marathon, yeah, you probably need to focus. I don't use protein powders from pea or uh, Sacha Inchi, but you know, if I was training and pounding down ten thousand calories a day, I might do that. I eat beans and peas and lentils and greens, chlorella, which isn't usually a staple of a vegan diet, although it's a very good add-on algae. Tablet nutrient, sixty five percent protein, and that's a friggin' plant. You know, so that's the world record holder.
0: Most people don't know that, but yeah. So, staying on the topic of nutrients and supplements, aside from those on a plant based diet, what are top nutrients that you recommend for heart health?
1: Yeah, you know, in terms of I'm going to become plant based for the for the world, for the animals, to lose weight, to prevent heart disease, you know, maybe manage my blood pressure, manage my cholesterol, my blood sugar. All the usual wonderful reasons. There are now, the industry ultimately responds. So there are some multivitamins that have everything you might be concerned about in one capsule. Makes it really easy, no brain required. I take one called Complement Plus, but in one capsule, there's a little algae omega 3 component. There's a little B12, there's a little zinc, there's a little iodine, there's um, a little selenium you're not going to be missing anything with that. And there are some others out there. i just blank it on the name, future kind. That's another one out there, but there's probably a dozen now. Uh, Some people have the attitude, and I don't really take exception with it. I'll just take B12, maybe a little tablet sublingually. Maybe I'll take it once a week. Really, B12 deficiency is important if you have it because it could long-term damage your nerves, your brain, your blood cells, but it takes months to years, it's not like it's a crisis the day you announce I've watched Forks Over Knives or I watched the Game Changers movie and I'm gonna start eating plant-based. You don't have to worry about it. As a medical doctor, I'm gonna advise people for optimal health. There are people that never take B12, decades of eating plant-based, and they've never had a problem because you can get it from nori rolls, you can get it from nutritional yeast, but we usually throw in a little bit more in some kind of capsule or liquid.
0: Sure, sure. That's great for the individual on a plant-based diet.
1: I love CoQ10. I'm a cardiologist. Yeah, yes. it's a staple.
0: So let's go to patients with heart disease. So what, plant-based diet aside, <laughs> patients come into your office, they have heart disease. What are your top go-tos from a supplement standpoint?
1: Some of it's going to be based on lab work, but just even randomly. Adequate vitamin D, usually the sunshine is not enough. Yes, you can eat a lot of mushrooms. Mushrooms are rich in vitamin D and Mushrooms may also lower your risk of cancer based on recent and older data, but uh, that's going vitamin D. CoQ10, a natural antioxidant that after about age 40, we start to make less and less. It's not very easy to get from any food. And if you're on a cholesterol-lowering statin medication, you really wipe out your body's ability to make CoQ10. I love CoQ10. People feel better, lowers blood pressure, lowers cholesterol, takes away migraines, makes your gums healthier. You know, you walk into... Costco and Sam's Clubs, you see bottles of CoQ10 right there. Magnesium, 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 you know, you got palpitations, constipated, you got bad periods with cramping, you got blood pressure issues, blood sugar issues. You find either powders or capsules. I like magnesium glycinate, which is one kind of magnesium, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's what most functional medicine people use. Take it before bed. It's probably going to help you sleep better and relax. Take it twice a day if you're kind of anxious, stressed, got blood pressure issues. And food supplies magnesium, but not enough. So it's a really, you know, those are my two probably most frequent. I use a lot of melatonin. I mean, people need to sleep. And there's a lot of reasons people aren't sleeping well. But so I use melatonin, sometimes really small dose. Usually the combination of melatonin and magnesium combined for sleep. I mean, beyond that, I mean, there's a zillion other supplements, Um, trying to do as much as I can through food, cholesterol lowering, red yeast, rice, bergamot, which is an Italian citrus, berberine, which is a plant-based capsule. I use a lot of niacin. Many people don't, but I do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let's go back to saturated fat for just a moment here, um, because I want to make sure I clarify for the listeners. And then I want to move on to labs. And maybe you, maybe you said this and you're, we're talking fast, so maybe I missed it, but is there a difference with saturated fat from meat versus plants with cardiovascular risk? I mean, is there a difference if you're eating lots of coconut oil, is that going with saturated fat? I guess this boils down to the question also, does saturated fat raise cholesterol? So maybe clarify that and then let's differentiate if, you know, someone who is on a plant-based diet, but maybe they're getting saturated fat from plants, is that still healthier, less risk-inducing than getting saturated fat from meat? And I guess we need to bring in sugar also and talk about sugar here.
1: we'll be here six hours. So, you know, (laughs) why even ask the question? We're asking the question because, and this is kind of a focus of a lot of work that I have done in the past. The frequency of heart attacks in the United States and other countries in the Western world started to skyrocket after World War II and young people were dropping dead and it was happening in Finland and the United States, Croatia and other countries. Researchers asked the question, what the heck's going on? And we knew that there was more smoking. All those free cigarettes given to uh, GI Joes uh, wasn't really a good idea in retrospect. Uh, They didn't know it so much in 1940. But research focused on... Has the change in the American diet in the 1940s and 50s and onward? McDonald's came on board and mom went to work and all kinds of new stresses. Just cutting through the chase, saturated fat rose to the top. And saturated fat, you know, is a chemical structure, it's not a food. What foods have a lot of saturated fat? They're almost all animal based foods like butter and lard and Crisco and cheeses and pastries made with lard and butter and marbled beef and marbled uh, fatty chicken and other poultries and ham and egg yolk to some degree. I mean, plant based foods generally are very low in saturated fat, with the exception of tropical oils. But tropical oils aren't foods, they're processed, but palm oil and coconut oil actually have more saturated fat per weight than even beef, chicken, turkey, cheese, and butter, almost twice as much. So most of the focus is, what happens if we reduce saturated fat in the diet by reducing butter, cheese, and meats? They did that experiment in a country called Finland. They did that in a country called France and in a city called Lyon, and they proved you can slay heart disease and rip it by half, by 75, by 80% in terms of frequency when you reduce saturated fat-rich foods like butter and lard and animal meats like sausage from the diet. There were phenomenally successful programs. There's never been as much data on coconut and palm oil which are even higher in saturated fat and are kind of unique that they do derive from plants, but they're very high in saturated fat. There certainly is an overall feeling by scientists in the cardiovascular field, uh, the American Heart Association, that they are to be limited or not used because there is no doubt they raise cholesterol. When you add two tablespoons of coconut oil to your coffee every morning, as some people do, which is a bizarre thing to do, but some people do, you will raise your cholesterol. Those have been done in very carefully done studies. Now, if you do that every day for 10 years, you might have a heart attack. It's not going to take 10 days or 10 weeks. Heart disease develops slowly and progressively. Is one worse than another? A high saturated fat diet from animal foods versus plant foods, the data suggests not different. And if you want to know, check your cholesterol. You know, My sweet little lady today doubled her cholesterol When she found the ketogenic diet and started adding lots of saturated, rich foods, and now we'll get her back to a more normal cholesterol, which is what she needs. So if you're going to do that experiment, if you're struggling with your cholesterol, like vegan baked goods, let's go back to junk food, vegan cookies, vegan pastries, vegan cheese, usually coconut oil is the first or second ingredient. If you got a problem with your cholesterol, cut those out for two months. Recheck your cholesterol. It might drop a lot.
0: You actually, I, I intended to ask you this question and you kind of already addressed it. But many of my patients come to me on a ketogenic diet for weight loss reasons or whatnot. And then I have seen cholesterol three, four, 500. I've seen it like skyrocket. But I've also seen patients on a ketogenic diet whose cholesterol does not go up. I mean, what accounts for that? I mean, is this does this have to do with yeah. the ApoE it genotype? Is or- reason,
1: well, it is, it is reasonably well known. Yeah, you know, some of it is one person's ketogenic diet isn't the same as the next. And that may be part of it. There are people, there's two physiologies that occur when we raise our fat content of our diet. There are people that are hyper absorbers and hyper producers, and there's people that are both. Some people have a cholesterol 300 and they're vegans eating salad, but their cholesterol is 300. Their liver genetically, and we know know, there are hundreds of variants, uh, SNP alterations and all that can lead to this, but we know that you can have a liver that genetically makes too much cholesterol. That's where the drugs like Lipitor and Crestor have an advantage if we have to use them and there's no alternative, although there's lots of natural ways to deal with it. There are people that are called hyperabsorbers. You change from a decent diet to a high saturated fat ketogenic diet and their intestines on a genetic basis can absorb more efficiently saturated fat than the average person. That's felt to be about 30% of people. You can test for it in lab work. It's called sterile analysis, if you're a hyperabsorber and you do the ketogenic diet, your cholesterol might double in six or eight weeks. And if you keep doing it, it might prove to be a bad idea. And then there are people that are both. Liver's making too much, intestines are sucking up too much, and they're really gonna, you know, explode on a ketogenic diet. Now, if you're not a hyperabsorber, your cholesterol may not go up much with a ketogenic diet.
0: Could you be missing out on magnesium? If you aren't already taking magnesium, you likely should be. Our deficient food sources, caffeine consumption, stress, and exercise rob us of magnesium, which is an important cofactor for hundreds of processes in the body. It can calm your mind and ease your nerves to help you sleep at night and help reduce anxiety, PMS, and headaches. It can relax your muscles when you have cramps, your bowels when you're constipated, and it's required for energy, hormone production, and vitamin D absorption. If you're interested in exploring more about how magnesium can help support you living a longer, healthier life, and the exact type of magnesium supplement to look for, check out my blog post, The Magnificence of Magnesium found at yourlongevityblueprint.com forward slash blog and use code magnesium for 10% off our magnesium chelate product at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now let's get back to the episode. So that's more the answer. Yeah, great. Now, our listeners may not want to 100% cut out meat from their diet. <laughs> but what kind of what ratio do you recommend? Are we going like do you recommend for those who choose to not cut out meat maybe like the 80/20 or what percentage of meat versus plants like and grains do you recommend?
1: Yeah, you know, I don't dictate to people what they have to do and it's also based Are you 28 years old and you're just getting fit or you're training or you want to drop some weight? And are you 64 years old and you've got piles of heart disease that we've identified or or you bring to me from previous testing? Um, And it matters. Then, of course, the more disease you have, whether it's weight, blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol issues, or actually clogged arteries, the more you might want to explore serious changes to your diet. You know, it's a, I'm stealing a word from the very famous uh, researcher, Dr. Dean Ornish. It's a spectrum. He wrote a book called The Spectrum. If you've got serious heart disease, you're going to be leaning towards you know, 95% plus, maybe 100%. If you're doing it for animal rights and the environment, you might choose 100% just based on that. If you're just doing it for generally good idea, you know, 90% plus, Again, I'll go back to Dr. Walter Longo, one of the world's leading nutrition scientists, University of Southern California. What does he recommend? 18 whole food plant-based meals a week and three pieces of fish a week. And this is a guy who's talking science. He doesn't have any skin in the game. He'd never respond if you called him a vegan. He's not, but that's his conclusion. That's kind of a good place to be.
0: What about the difference between hot dogs and grass-fed organic beef, right? Like I have family that farms and I know I'm getting higher quality meat. For the listeners, right? When we think of the difference in cardiovascular risk increase between eating a a hot dog, a processed hot dog and eating grass-fed organic beef, is there a difference there?
1: It's very different, but it's not completely dissimilar because there still are, even in the best grass-fed beef, there may be a molecule, I know this is sciency, called NU5GC. That recent science says may cause arteries to get inflamed and start the cycle of blockage. Even in the good grass-fed beef, there's an amino acid in excess called L-carnitine that could cause your TMAO level to go up. Look at There's no doubt that there is good data. If you go to Australia and you catch yourself a kangaroo with very low fat content in the meat, because this is the study. Or you eat some kind of factory farm meat in Australia, cholesterol levels are very different. I mean, venison naturally harvested through usually hunting is a very low saturated fat content meat. These animals are wild, they're running around, they're eating plants and grass and all. But you talk about 90%, 98% of Americans are eating factory farm, confined. I mean, it's, it's a high saturated fat. Ugly business, but yeah, no doubt quality matters in every regard. So if you are eating meat, you know, follow your direction and go for, uh, you know, quality, quality.
0: Awesome. So I want to conclude with labs here. So I'd like to know. I know you can't just give me your opinion on every single patient because risk factors vary patient to patient. But how I'm interested to know how low you're wanting LDL to go. And that I have a lot of patients who come to me with low testosterone because their conventional cardiologist has them on aggressive doses of statins and their total and their LDL cholesterol are very low. And in my opinion, that is contributing to lowering testosterone um, that they're now coming to me for and now they have erectile dysfunction. So how low are you wanting to push LDL? And then I'd like to you in the few moments we have left here just to talk about a, a few other very important labs that you check to kind of determine individual cardiovascular risk in your patients.
1: So, you know, things evolve over time, maybe 10 years ago, we had some data and we're talking like the global cardiology community that an LDL cholesterol under hundred in a patient with heart disease, which might be a total cholesterol of 180 or something in that range was a goal. We changed that maybe six to eight years ago, based on new data that an LDL cholesterol less than 70 was a better goal in somebody with previous bypass, heart attack, maybe carotid disease that causes a stroke. And then finally, just last year in Europe, but it'll become the norm in the United States, it's now an LDL under 55, wow. which means cholesterol may be 105, and Whoa. there's no more erectile dysfunction in those with a low LDL than those with a high LDL. You don't LDL. see
0: that? You don't see
1: I, that? I never see that, because okay. I my guys with cholesterol 300 haven't had a woody in a long time. It's unrelated. I disagree. Uh, Maybe on the differential diagnosis, they all have vascular disease and clogged arteries. And I think that's, you know, more likely. And I worry about their brains. There is an interesting research study out this week. There's one class of statins. The most famous is Lipitor that may actually promote memory loss. And there's another class, which Crestor is the most popular in that group in Crestor may actually delay memory loss. So it actually, it's no longer considered to be a class effect. It's uh, you got to separate which, and you'd rather gravitate away from Lipitor and Zocor and move over to the Crestor type. They're all generic nowadays. So that's interesting, but uh, that is the new norm. Now you walk in my office and you're 34 years old and you're healthy and you're looking for general health. I'm not going to insist on those kind of numbers. Uh, Unless you have some really, really whack family history that makes me concerned at a young age, but yeah, not going to insist on that. Um, Yeah, it's moving in that direction. We have you know medications now, injectable cholesterol medications that sometimes we add to the statins. I'm talking in sick heart patients. We can get almost anybody's cholesterol down to a hundred nowadays. Should we? So far, the data still favors in the sick heart patient. It's safe and reasonable.
0: Sure, sure. You alluded to earlier in the interview, the patients who are hyperabsorbers or patients who are producing too much cholesterol. And that's something that we can check in our patients. And that is something that I check with my patients in order to personalize the care as far as what supplements or medications we would choose to lower those, those numbers. Can you briefly share a couple other labs that you check in these patients that listeners should really pay attention to, especially if they have significant family history of heart disease?
1: Yeah, I'm going to be slightly promotional only because it's more efficient. There is a cholesterol particle called lipoprotein little a, almost unpronounceable. 1% of physicians in the United States check for this. It's a inherited cholesterol. 25% of people inherit it. That's 90 million Americans, 25%. Everybody listening, one out of every four got that cholesterol from their mom, their dad, or both. This is a cholesterol that has the potential to clog any artery in the body, cause stroke, heart attack, erectile dysfunction and also cause damage to a heart valve. If you don't check it, you'll be scratching your head. Why did Uncle Joe have a heart attack? Man, he was a clean liver and exercise and ate well. Doctor said his labs were good. Well, that is a test we should all have. Again, in Europe, 2019, they recommended that this be added on routinely to the panel. It's an inexpensive blood test. LabCorp, Quest, your local hospital. So I always have drawn that for about a decade. I have. Uh, a huge accumulation of people that had problems with it, but it's not inevitable. There is no drug for it right now, but there are a series of pharmaceutical companies that are actively studying in humans new drugs because Lipitor and Crestor don't work for that. C-reactive protein called high sensitivity. Inflammation is your dental health, your skin health, your diet, your sleep, your waistline working for you or against you. If your high sensitivity C-reactive protein is up you're inflamed and you're at risk. Vitamin D levels. I like omega 3 blood levels because so many people are seriously deficient in no salmon, no sardine, no chia, no flax, no hemp, no walnuts, or inadequate absorption or conversion. So I don't like people walking around with super low omega 3 blood levels. And I usually will check a homocysteine, which is a uh, metabolic byproduct that you're well aware of, but I see a lot of abnormalities there that are worth identifying.
0: Great. I will put those labs in the show notes and I will put some of those omega-3 rich foods also in the show notes for the listeners. Is there anything else? <laughs> I know we-
1: <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> if people do 1% of what we talked about. We helped a lot of people.
0: Well, with that, we'll wrap up the episode. So tell me what your top longevity tip is.
1: I would say it used to be, I'd talk about quality of food. It's actually sleep now. I actually spend more time with my patients characterizing their sleep and coming up with 10 different ways they can improve their sleep because tired people don't work out and tired people don't say no to a bagel and a donut and tired people aren't happy people. And there's a lot of stresses on us from politics and health issues and cell phones and iPads and EMF and other things. So I actually work extensively. So get seven and a half hours of sleep. Do 10 different things at night like I do, from blue light blocking glasses to herbal supplements to breath and meditation to cool pads if you need to block out uh, shades or eye masks. Get your sleep. Tape your mouth shut. I go to sleep every night with my mouth taped shut. That's a whole other topic.
0: Yep, we didn't get to that yet. (laughs) Tell us where listeners can find you, where they can learn more. I know you have a wonderful website. so.
1: Yeah, always in my office in suburban Detroit. And I do see people from all over the world. Telehealth is a wonderful thing. But the website is drjoelkahn.com. But it's drjolkahn.com. ncom It'll take you to my clinic, take you to some blogs, take you to, uh, some interviews I've done, Joe Rogan and other places I've shown up at times.
0: Awesome. I know you had a really busy day, so I appreciate you coming on the show and sharing with our listeners really how we can reduce our cardiovascular risk. So thank you so much for your expertise and your time. And I encourage... I
1: love talking about it. You ask good questions. Thanks for all the work you
0: do. <laughs> you bet. I encourage the listeners to check you out. I'll post all of these applicable links in the show notes. Well, that was a fast-paced, fun interview. Listening to him definitely makes me reevaluate how much meat I eat. Although, like he said, there is a difference with the quality of our foods. However you choose to eat, please try to get fresh, non-processed, organic, wild-cut foods and get a variety of fruits, vegetables, grains, and beans or legumes daily. I find veggies are the most difficult for my patients to add, so try just adding one extra serving of vegetables per day and work your way up. You can even try some of the pluck seasoning mentioned on a prior episode to flavor up those veggies. Again, in the show notes, I'll post the foods high in omega-3s and the labs Dr. Khan mentioned. In my patients, I run an advanced lipid panel that contains all of the inflammatory markers, lipids, particles, sterols, and even genetics, some of which we didn't have time to mention in this episode. If this is something you're interested in, if you're at high risk for heart disease, or you have current heart disease, if you're a current patient, call the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic and we can get this testing ordered on you. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thank you so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting.